Coach Considerations from the UKSCA Views and Opinions from the World of Strength and Conditioning Thanks for having me everyone. Um, can you want to hear me at the back? All good? Um, yeah, 30 odd hours, so yeah, I haven't... Um, I've travelled on these clothes, so I might smell a little bit, but it's all good. <laughs> it's all right, we'll keep them away. But uh, look, you must be used to it. I guess the rule takes you on the road pretty much, pretty much every time you play, right? Yeah, we travel every week. Yep. We're never in the same place for longer than six days. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, we've definitely we've had some insights from golf last year. We had some insights from Formula One. So let's just delve a little bit more into the role, really. Um, so some of my stats here, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, from <laughs> the boffins that helped me, helped me put this together. But two World Cup wins, uh, 2011 and 2015. Um, Pretty much, so fourth World Cup coming up, right? Yep. Um, multiple test matches. I think you're over 200 tests. Anything that stands out is the, well, before we start, the best memory so far? Oh, one of the best was um, staying in England's home base and winning the 2015 World Cup. That was probably the, <laughs> the most memorable. So you've just alienated <laughs> at least 70%, but there's a good Scott contingent here, so we were quite, quite like that. Good, good, good. Um, there's a couple of other roles you do, so it's not just the All Blacks. You're also associate professor at Waikato University as well. Yep. So is that how does how does that balance work between what is a massive performance job and, and I guess lecturing? Well, I started out teaching. Um, yeah, long long time ago, I was teaching before I was coaching. Um, I did my PhD, so got into research and sports science and. Um, yeah, the university role was sort of was full time, and as rugby's become more full time, the university sort of dropped away a little bit. So, um, yeah, I just supervise PhD students now. Nice, nice. Yep. And I guess do you use that team to help guide the program, or are they two separate things in terms of? Yeah, not to guide the program, but definitely to keep learning and keep being stimulated and keep asking questions and trying to find answers. So, yeah, it's sort of how I, it's a little bit of PD for me, really. Amazing. Yeah. And so club-wise, because you obviously started out um, and maybe give us a little bit of background in terms of the New Zealand rugby system. Uh, yeah, where, where did you start out in terms of conditioning? Um, actually, so I... Um, it's a, probably only happened in New Zealand. It wouldn't happen nowadays anyway. Um, I actually just volunteered to help a provincial rugby team um, to, to, to train at the gym, basically, I was just I was holding the program and putting the, putting the weights on the bars and and just just helping and and um, I think the coaches wanted a change and so they got rid of the guy that I was helping and asked me to do a bit more work and that was um, that was 23 years ago um, and the guy that did that was Ian Foster, who's the current All Black coach. So he actually pulled me out of teaching. Um, and now I'm with him at the All Blacks, so it's sort of, I left him, he never forgave me, um, <laughs> but we've come back together, so it's, it's been pretty cool. But, um, so I, that was back in early 2000s, um, rugby in New Zealand and the world was only, it had only been pro for four years. Yeah. So I've sort of become professional as the sport's become professional, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I've been part of the, you know, training early morning and late at night as a semi-professional player, um, still holding a job down. I was as well, so were they. And gradually, you sort of started to train during the day, and you had to get rid of other jobs. So um, I've been part of that. And in New Zealand, um, yeah, the, the I, I think professionalism is only sort of just 
come about the last maybe five or six years okay. for professionalism and rugby. Yeah, I guess um, some of the differences we'll, we'll talk about later, but in terms of the team around you, opposed to some of the teams you have over here with, with as many backroom staff as, as, as players. Um, well, I'll save that. We'll, we'll, we'll go into that a little bit. Um, in terms of in terms of that balance, then I guess like how how is that shifted, and how do you? We've had some sessions talking about keeping a balance as a coach and and, and really, you know, staying in the in, in the moment, but having the family outside of it, having Nick outside of Gilly, the All Blacks conditional. Like, how do you find keeping that balance, particularly with the travel? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty fortunate. I um, so I'm away with the team for let's say four or five months a year. And then when I'm not away with the team, I'm at home. And so I just work from home or I'll, New Zealand's pretty small, so I'll just fly around New Zealand and then visit clubs and see players and have meetings. And um, But generally I can stay at home. So I I get sick of people, so I go and hide away in the hills and I grow avocados as a sort of part-time hobby. So, Do you know what? I was going to ask you about the avocados, but I thought somebody yeah. was stitching me up here because it yeah. says, ask Nick about avocados. Yeah, no, I grow lots of avocados. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely can't do that in yeah. Scotland. <laughs> um, no, brilliant. Well, listen, Luke, in terms of um, yeah, the team around you then, so the ABs, obviously one of the most famous, not just in rugby, but probably teams in, in world sport and, and certainly one of the most successful. Who do you have around you? What's your, what's your background team look like? What does the team around you look like into the coaching? Um, again, yeah, really different to probably any other international rugby team. Um, so we don't have a base. Um, every week we go to wherever we're playing and we train in different gyms and different fields and different hotels every single week. Um, and part of the Part of that explains why our staff is so lean and mean. Um, so in, in my team, um, in our team, the health and performance group, um, there's myself, um, we have a sports scientist, a doctor, a nutritionist, a physiotherapist, and a manual therapist. So there's six of us. Um, and it's been like that since day dot. So I, I was with the All Blacks in 2004. Um, I did about 10 tests. I left because I didn't. It was, there was a horrendous culture in the team, lots of drinking, and um, and I didn't enjoy being away in that environment. So I left in 2004. Um, but so since 2008, um, it's been that sort of six people. Um, and even next year, we're just going through some changes for next year, and it's going to stay exactly the same. And is that is that um, are they the same six people? Or are, you, are you guys? No, no, it's no. changed. So the doctors changed three or four times. Um, the sports science, my sort of um, right hand person, has changed a couple of times. Um, physio stayed the same. Nutritionist stayed the same. Manual therapists have stayed the same. But they're all changing next year. Okay. Yeah. So there's a big clean out next year. Yeah. Nice. And in terms of, I guess, what challenges that? test you in terms of skill set and and staying current with I guess the growth of say sports something like sports science and, and yeah, even, yeah. a little bit but um, I think that if there's one thing that I've definitely learned is um, because I have four or five months away from S&C hiding in the hills <laughs> talking to avocados I, um, <laughs> I, I think that um, when it comes back to picking up the tools, tools again so to speak, um, and you go to try and reinvent things and do things 
bigger and better than last time. I still always come back to the same stuff. Yeah. So no matter what I read, no matter who I talk to, um, no matter how much time I have thinking, um, it's still the, the basics that, that form the foundation of our program. And we just try to do them better than anyone else. Yeah. And so um, keeping up with changes, um, I, I think there's, there's constant evolution in what the athletes and what the coaches and what the team can do um, and how they do it. Um, but it's still the bread and butter that you just need to get right first. And, and a lot of that's about culture, drive, standards. Um, you know, it's not necessarily about the, you know, two second holds at the bottom of a squat versus a, you know, three second eccentric. Yeah, I mean, I definitely was going to touch on that later, but like, let's <laughs> delve into the, the kind of standards. Like, uh, how, I mean, All Blacks are, are renowned for the standards they hold, and, and there's, there's sayings that come out, and it's not necessarily the All Blacks promoting these, these things. It's maybe people from the outside looking in at you guys. Like, what does that actually look like for you guys? How do you hold standards, and, and, and what do you do in your role to, to drive that with the player? Um, Good question. It's um, like I think my job's really easy uh, because the the history of the team is so good, um, in that the the standards expected in the All Blacks just they're just there. As soon as you are picked for the team, um, you know all of a sudden expectations on you have doubled. You know whether that's how much you lift, how lean you should be how fit you need to be, or everything that you thought was good, when you get picked into the team of black, the standards go up significantly. And, and that's for a couple of reasons, but one is everyone around you is so much better, um, which is probably the same in any national team. Um, but the fact that the team, the team loses sort of one in five games um, across all of time, um, and we don't have a base in three quarters of those games overseas, puts a whole lot of pressure on you as a young athlete to go, shit, I can't do what I used to do. I can't cut corners, I can't, I can't cruise. I have to do everything I can to try and live up to the legacy that has gone before. So, mm. um, you know, I don't need to get out a whip and, and I don't need to shout. Um, I don't need to demand too much from them. Um, and to be fair, sometimes I have to try and hold some of them back because mm. they'll end up hurting themselves because they're trying so hard um, so you know there are people and there are athletes that sometimes need a little bit of a different prod um, sometimes the pressure of the environment gets to the young players and you sort of got to put your arm around them a little bit and 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 help them through it versus you know just be really demanding because mm -hmm. the environments are demanding so um, yeah I, I think the, the the team itself drives the standards and the history drives the expectations. Do you, do you think that's helped by having a small team around you guys? Like you, you, you obviously must have tight relationships with. Oh, totally. Like I, um, I was saying to you before in the in the back. Um, you know, I, I'm, I've been doing this for a long time. So, but I still, <laughs> I refuse to let go of all the basics, simple stuff. I still do all the programming. I was in the taxi on the way here, so I've been in a taxi for three hours from Heathrow. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> At least and, it wasn't and, a fan. And just programming, <laughs> you know, so I do all the programming still, even though I'm leading the health and performance team. Um, I do all the planning with each individual player. Um, 
I prescribe all the injury prevention. Um, I do all that stuff um, because I feel like the relationship with the athlete um, is so important to get the detail right. Hmm. Um, when I before I made the before I was with the All Blacks, um, I had I actually did some work with Warren Gatland with the Chiefs in Waikato, and you know he came from Wasps and he demanded sort of. Um, one SSC coach per five players or six players, or whatever it was, it, there was a ratio, you know, and um, I hated it. I hated it because I never knew what each of the athletes were up to because there was five or six SSC coaches working with this group of athletes. Mm -hmm. And so I became a manager of coaches and people and I had no idea what was going on, whether it was good or bad or otherwise. So, um, you know, some people will say that I'm a bit of a control freak, but it's more it's more that I actually just want to, I want to be part of helping that athlete be the best they can be on Saturday. Um, and so I think the connection and the relationship with the athlete is way more important than having a ratio of one to five. Yeah. And I guess on that, like you've gone through some, some absolute legends of actual coaches, head coaches who, who have been hugely successful. How, how does that relationship change? Because you've mentioned a few, a few greats there, but yeah, I guess there's a different with coaches. challenge. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and what they want, you know, you're talking, we're talking about Gats there in terms of this is what he wants. How yeah. do you build that relationship? And yeah, um, yeah, it's. Um, I think I think early days for me it was sort of um, probably a, a lot more collaborative, and that they would sort of tell me what they're thinking and they'll try and help get what they wanted. Whereas now, um, you know, it's a sit down, have a cup of tea and let's talk about next week, let's look at the schedule, um, let's look at our loading, let's look at our intensity, how are the guys travelling. Um, and so it's way more, uh, um, the, the egos don't exist so much. Um, and I'm as experienced or more experienced than the coaches now. So when I started, they'd come from playing and it might have been coach, coaching for a few years, whereas now, so this new group that are coming through next year, um, they've got no experience at international rugby, so I've got all the experience. Mm -hmm. So the, the sort of the relationship's gonna change a little bit. Um, it'll be more trying to help them understand international rugby and collaborating with them in that way versus maybe 15 years ago it was sort of them telling me and then I'd try and provide what they wanted. Um, but I think the key thing is it's, I mean everyone always talks about it, but it's um, it's having a, trying to create a relationship where you can build some trust, um, so you can be honest, um, you can have robust discussion, you can disagree, um, but at the end of the day you come up with a way forward and sometimes it's not always easy. My, I mean, gee, I, I like telling this story because I, I earned a, Steve Hansen took over from Graham Henry back in 2012, I think it was, and Steve came in um, into the into the big dog's chair and sort of wanted to see his own sort of scene and and just tried to really ride staff like a little bit like what Eddie Jones is doing in the Wallabies, um, just really hard on his staff. Um, because he felt like if the staff were on edge, the team would be on edge and then everyone would perform. Um, and anyway, uh, I remember it vividly. And we were going, went out for dinner as a management team and it was, um, it was before a day off. 
And anyway, I'm sitting down one end of the table and big Steve's down the other end holding his sort of court, you know, his big king dog. And um, and he sort of yells out, well, not yells, but he raises his voice, says, Gilly, what are you up to in the morning? And I said, oh, yeah, I might be going hunting. And he says, oh, he already knew this, obviously, but he's making a big show in front of everyone else. Um, so it's just staff, no players. And um, he says, oh, who are you doing that who are you doing that with? Oh, that's how he speaks. <laughs> um, and I said, oh, one of the players is going to come pick me up at 5am. We're going to go get a deer and a pig and we'll be back in our beds at 8am. This is a day off. And then he's, he looks at me and he pauses. You think that's a good idea, cop? <laughs> and I said, oh, well, it's a day off, Steve, and we'll all get a good sleep. We'll go, we'll have a nap and we'll catch up. We'll be good to go come Thursday. So anyway... It ended up being a really big, loud, across-the-table argument where I was sticking up for the players, saying, it's their day off, you need to trust them. Do you want to ring them all up right now, Steve, and just check that you're happy with what they're doing on their day off? And he didn't like that. So, so I had a crack at him in front of everyone, so then he fired up, and yeah. he actually had to get taken out to the car to settle down a little bit. <laughs> um, and anyway... It all fizzled out and we all disappeared. Anyway, I go back to my room in the hotel and a few of the staff come and check in on me, make sure I'm okay. Like, had this, it was a full-on argument. And I'm all okay, it was all cool. Um, probably a little bit shaken, because um, Steve's a scary man. Um, <laughs> anyway, long story short is I got told I should text him to make up. <laughs> so I texted him and said, hey, Cobb, we probably need to have a catch-up. So we had a catch-up. Had a cup of tea, and um, he said to me, "What have you learnt?" And I said, "Well, what I've learnt is that um, we probably shouldn't argue in front of people." He said, "Okay." I said, "What have you learnt, Steve?" He said, "Well, I've learnt that you'll stand up to me, and no one else in this management team will." And from that day onwards, so much trust for me. And him and I would just have our little conversations and discussions away from everyone else, solve all the problems of the team. Um, and, and so for me, that was about, wasn't my plan, but yeah. that's what the result was. Huge trust um, because he knew that I'd do what was right for the team and for um, the players and that he knew that I would, I would, I would stand up for what I thought was right. So. So that sort of gives you a little bit of insight to how you need to build a relationship with a coach. Maybe not arguing in front of everyone at dinner, <laughs> um, but but by doing that, you can actually develop some trust too, which is huge. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. And I guess there's quite a unique situation you are with 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 your role, because not only are the All Blacks the pressure for there for the players and and the head coaches, but I guess now there's a different kind of pressure for your role, right? You've you've been there and done it, and particularly after this cycle, so for those of you who don't know, they've announced a new new management team after the end of this, this World Cup campaign and, and hugely successful club coaching team coming in. Um, very different from, from an outsider looking in. Um, I imagine hugely exciting as well for a different challenge, but what kind of pressures do you feel? Do you, do you think that the players look to you more or, or even as you say, coaches at the moment? Is it, how's that changed over the years? Yeah, I think, um, no, there, there's lots of pressure. Um, 
especially in little New Zealand, because you sort of don't play well or you lose. And I mean, last year we locked, we got two coaches sacked. It's never happened in New Zealand rugby before. Um, it was horrendous. Um, and yeah, so that takes a toll on you because you know you only have a small part to play in the big machine of it all. But um, I don't think there'd be anyone in the group that that doesn't feel it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's it's what the players need to see in staff is is confidence. And so, you might be feeling like your nut, your 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 stomachs and knots. You just can't show it. Um, whether that's on the field, whether that's at training, whether that's in the gym, um, you can be steely and you can be focused, but you can't look like you are under all sorts of pressure. Mm. Um, and, and I think that goes for, for players, staff, everyone in the group, um, you know, because if people, people just want to be able to look at you in the eye and go, we got this, not yep. look at you in the eye and go, fuck, he's shit scared. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, just on that then, so let, let's, let's fast forward to present now. Um, going into this World Cup, um, how, how have the prep gone? Again, it's very different. New Zealand's prep to the Northern Hemisphere teams. Um, how are you feeling things are going? Yeah, good, I think. Um, yeah, we, we don't have... Our prep's so different because we just... We finish our club season and then we play the rugby championship. So we flew up to Argentina, played Africa, um, played Aussie a couple of times and then we had a week at home and then we're coming here. So there's no pre-season, there's no off-season. We're just going from playing footy to playing some more footy and and the odd week away to freshen up a little bit. We went in, um, actually after the last game, we went to Hawke's Bay to, we had some bad flooding in one of the little towns in New Zealand and the All Blacks went and um, and basically tried to remove all the silt from houses and marais that had been covered up by a flood. So um, yeah, our pre-season, pre if you like to call it that, the boys were driving trucks and diggers and mm. trying to help a community sort of get back on their two feet. So, Do you think, do you think that gives you guys an advantage, in, in particularly in tournament football, in, in that you guys don't have a base and, and every time you come together, it's almost like a test week in a World Cup in that you're in a hotel. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know if it's... Maybe, maybe, maybe not, but like we're in, at, the, at the World Cup, we're in the same base for four weeks so they've tried to make us have a base <laughs> little buggers so um you're gonna just move cities well we <laughs> for the bye we were leaving so yeah we're sort of um yeah I, I don't know like it's um we've because we've always done that we sort of just um little things that go wrong or that are a bit different we don't we don't sort of sweat the small stuff because everything's different all the time like most weeks we'll train in three different fields two different gyms three different gyms you know it's just it is what it is and we just get on with it so do you want to give a give us what what, what will next so next week you're playing south africa on saturday at twickenham which friday is a bit bizarre. friday yeah bit bizarre but so what what does next week give us a flavor for what a test week looks like from a training players arrive um tomorrow morning at 5 30 in the morning um, they've got a whole day of promotional activities, commercial activities, so they'll have six or seven hours in front of cameras and um, phones and stuff. Um, all low-key stuff, but a whole day of that. And then we start the week Sunday morning, uh, gym and training, then the next day training, then gym, day off, 
training, then training, and then the game. So we just turned to a test week. Mm. Um, obviously, with the long haul travel and the time adjustment, we'll be jet lagged in bits. Um, so the loading in the gym's always going to be pretty low. Um, you know, you think of a 140 kilogram prop laying, laying in this tiny little chair for 30 hours, he's going to be in pieces when he gets off the plane. So we just got to ease into the week. Yeah. Um, but by Wednesday, we'll be going going strong and hopefully adjusted to the time zone and get into it. Yeah, I mean, it's just an easy game against South Africa. They're pretty quiet, those games, aren't they? Um, just touching on the programming. So I, I know you're constantly thinking about the program and I guess the challenge within rugby, as you've alluded to, you've got 130, 140 kg prop potentially at that point, right the way down to, you know, your halfbacks at 85 kgs. Like how, how do you go about programming and what level of, I guess, um, responsibility do you give the players? Because you do have, you know, there's a, you've got some bloody talented players, right? Yeah, so Tamaiti's 142 yeah, kilos. Yeah, yeah. And I'm hoping he doesn't get off the plane at 145. <laughs> um, so he's young and a new prop. Um, and then our, our lightest getting off the plane will be 78 kilos. So a big difference, right? Um, and I suppose um, programming for me, um, when I started, was very much a do this um, and do as I say. And I used to, I always tell the story, I used to stay up till 3 a.m. in the morning, prescribing my percentages. You know, okay, tomorrow you're 82.5% of your 1RM, which we tested three weeks ago. And, and uh, I'd do that f for all the players. I'd have this individualized plan and I'd get to the gym in the morning and, and none of them could do any of it. Um, and I was so tired from doing all these awesome programs that I had no ability to coach <laughs> and adapt and adjust on the spot. So I quickly learned that actually um, the most important conversation is the, the one with the athlete first thing. Um, so I have, a, I have a plan that I put in place for each of them based on where we're trying to take them that they are part of. Mm -hmm. um, and they have to be part of it because if they're not part of that, that discussion or that program, then they won't commit to it in a way that's going to help them be better. Mm -hmm. so, so again, that word collaboration I used earlier is really important. Um, so understanding where they're wanting to go, where they think they need to go, and then where I think they need to go and where I want them to go and somehow get into the same point. Um, um, and so, yeah, the program is very much um, their program. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll prescribe it, I'll write it, I'll adjust it, um, we'll adapt it together. Um, but it's a daily thing. Mm -hmm. um, so writing those programs in the, in the taxi on the way in here, um, you know, I'll sit down with each of the boys um, on Sunday morning to just make sure they're clear on the week yeah. and the why. Um, individually, not as a group, individually. Um, and it's a 30-second conversation. Um, and, and I think that they also have a big part in planning their own week. So they'll plan how they're going to get better each week, which I see and go through with them. And, yeah. Nice. In terms of, I guess, that, that journey when they come on, in terms of Monday they get off the... Or, sorry, not Monday, sorry, Saturday. Let me, let me get my days right here. Saturday they get off the plane. Like, do you do, you do morning monitoring? Is your monitoring... Um, you know, have you got every gadget going? Do you put them through a full battery of stretching and, and, and 
data management? What's what's the what's the All Blacks monitoring? Morning monitoring. We don't. So it's just that conversation with them. So um, we've we've done all that stuff. So we've done all the we've collected all the numbers and. Um, you know, because you know, I've I've been with the team for 16 years, and so we've done all of all of the stuff that people are currently still doing. Um, and what most people, um, I'm not saying we won't go back there, but at the moment, um, in our current situation with our current staff and our current program and athletes, um, we don't have the capacity to collect the information. Do something with the information immediately, and coach the athlete. So, our energy is put into coaching the athlete and developing self-reliant individuals that will sort out a tight groin if they feel like they've got a tight groin, or talk to us about it. Yeah. Um, versus everyone doing knee to wall, everyone doing a duck to squeeze, everyone doing a straight leg hamstring uh, raise, everyone doing a jump all that data being thrown into something um, and it not necessarily influencing what you do right there and then. Yeah. Okay, so we just don't have the resource to be able to do it. So we've collected it and then gone, actually, we're not doing anything with it, so we're not even going to bother. Yeah. We'll still do body weight, sleep, just just the, the subjective measures to check in and they'll raise flags for us, which we'll have a conversation about and that's immediate. Yeah. So... Guys will come to the gym to me on Sunday morning and I'll know who's sore. And so all I'll do when I'm having my catch up with them is, hey, you're a bit sore, where? Oh, it's my back. Okay, cool, we're just gonna tweak this today with your program. And then let's talk about it afterwards or during the session, so. Yeah, cool. Uh, I mean, brilliant, and, and there's some themes there in some of the sessions over the weekend, talking about a similar kind of thing. Um, I've got a couple more. I definitely want to leave time for, for the guys in the audience for questions. And, uh, and we're probably on the tightest schedule I think I've ever seen of in yeah, we, we um, 25 minutes. Let's just go one, one more around the World Cup then, seeing as it's right around the corner. Like, when you guys were approaching France and, and, and hearing all the, you know, France and Ireland are going to win the World Cup and nobody's, nobody's talking about New Zealand just yet. When, you, when, you're, when you're approaching France, what do you see as the biggest challenge for the, the World Cup campaign? Not necessarily for France, who you have first. Um, what are you guys talking about? Um, yeah, it's, well, if we rewind to a year ago, we, uh, we played South Africa in um, Alice Park to save our coach. Um, back then, we weren't even thinking about World Cup. Yeah. Everyone was hoping they had a job, um, and everyone was hoping that the whole regime didn't get turfed because there was some good stuff going on. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the the tour last year we sort of improved some aspects of how we were playing, made some good shifts. Um, not really thinking about World Cup, just went home and spent the summer pissed off that England drew with us after we had a huge lead. Um, you know, so that sort of put us on edge a little bit for the summer and then um, and then these last four games we've had we've been again really happy that we, we we're improving yeah. in some areas that we're trying to improve in. Um, so, you know, like I, I'm not with the team right now. The boys are on a plane and the man the, the rest of the staff come over tomorrow night. Um, 
Um, but there's just a genuine excitement that, yeah. you know, it's a World Cup. How good? Yeah. And, and I think the, the, the thing that, well, I'm, I'm assuming it's the same for every team. The, the thing that's um, hardest thing to manage is a small squad. You only got 33 players. Um, and so if you've got a couple with a, with a couple of niggles that you're managing through the first few rounds of the tournament, you've only got 30, 31 players fit to train against. Yeah. So that's a challenge of a World Cup. Um, and so that's probably all that's on my mind at the moment is we've got a couple of, couple of guys that have got a couple of niggles. So um, it'll just be how we, how we manage that so that everyone's not getting overexposed because two people can't train. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm not even thinking about you know quarterfinals or anything like that. We just got to get through this weekend and and then go to Germany and fill up our bags with Adidas clothing. <laughs> well, look, uh, last questions, and I guess there's a lot of people in the audience who will be at different stages of their career. Like when you reflect back, and 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 even with recruitment, probably two parts. What is it you look for if you're recruiting a coach? And secondly, what advice would you give young coaches starting out? Wow. Um, it's, a hard, uh, it's a hard question to answer because it depends, I think, on um, what sort of coach you want to be. Um, but I think for me, uh, the best coaches I see have a really good connection and relationship with the athletes. Not like a, oh, he's really easy on me, I like him. But more of a, the athlete knows that the coach cares deeply and wants to do what's best for the athlete no matter what. Yeah. So I think an ability to have connections and build a relationship with athletes of all ages, of all cultures, um, of all sexes, is probably the most important thing for me. Um, I was actually, we, we're doing some staff recruitment at the moment and I wrote in an email on the way here that it's really easy to, to learn skills or to learn about, let's say, programming. It's actually easy to do that stuff. But it's pretty hard to become a good person. Like, you've got to be a good person. You've got to be able to connect and have relationships. That's hard to learn. And so um, I, I think for me that's... That's probably the most important thing is that ability to connect, form a relationship that is about honesty and trust. And then if you can have that, then man, you can you can do anything you want with that athlete from a programming perspective, because they'll trust you. Yeah. And if they don't like what you've got in front of them, they'll tell you. Yeah. That to me is probably the most important thing. Probably answers both questions in Does that, it? mate. Yeah, I oh, thought yeah. it was good. Oh, yeah. Cool. Um, Listen, I think we, we want to use the next kind of 10 minutes or so um, just to answer, uh, open it to the audience to see if there's some questions. I'm sure there's, there's a few out there. Um, I'll let you guys do the running, Steve. <laughs> yeah, great listening. Um, you said your job is well. oh, Sorry. <laughs> you said your job was made easy because of the history of the team. Um, if the, the history wasn't there, how would your approach change towards the team? Yeah, I think um, people always talk about culture. I think culture is the, the buzzword that everyone tries to um, um, hone in on. Like if the culture of your group is good, um, work ethic, standards, expectations are, are defined and agreed upon. Um, 
So I think that's probably where, where you would start. I mean, I've been in teams where culture's been poor and I've had to drive standards in, in, in our space, you know, in SNC um, in nutrition. Um, and gee, it's tough, man. Like, it's tough because then the connection and relationship thing gets a bit strained because you're now having to be a bit more dictator-like versus a collaborator because they're, they're actually needing to kick up the bum. Um, so I think that getting some really good clarity about where the athletes or the team are wanting to go and then what it's going to take to get there, that's probably the thing that would help with standards and expectations. Um, I think also leaders within the group are the role models. So I always think that staff and senior players and leaders if, if they are all walking the walk, then people will follow. Um, you know, leadership is actually not necessarily about what you say, it's what you do. And so we, we always talk about that. Um, you know, like if, if we think that, let's just say, let's just say that recovery is our big focus for the next two weeks from all this travel, um, then the leaders believe that they'll demonstrate it and everyone else will just follow them. Does that make sense? So I think it goes, goes across the board, whether that's nutrition, lifting, running, recovery, um, skill execution or practice. It all comes from, from having an, an, an aligned and agreed sort of direction. Um. My question is, um, what has helped you stay resilient, healthy, and connected to the important people in your life outside of sport, whilst working, you know, being successful within sport? Sorry, say that again. How, what's helped you stay resilient um, and healthy and connected to the important people in your life outside of sport, whilst obviously being highly successful within sport? Um, <laughs> it's a challenge, isn't it? Regardless of, I think, um, what we all do. Um, I, um, I've, I've, I try to, I've tried to tell my wife that um, I live a, uh, she thinks my life isn't quite balanced. But I see, I, I tried to tell her that it's extremely balanced. So I work really, really hard and I play really hard. Um, and I think now I'm getting a bit older, I'm having to probably play not quite so hard, but um, um, I think just just uh, um, appreciation of how much energy I give other people, um, and that's probably why I live in the hills and the trees, because I give so much to the team that when I'm finished um, the season, I'm cooked. Um, and so I just need to be by my girls, be with my girls, and just, um, you know, forget about SNC and, and rugby for a little bit. Um, so I do other things. So I, and this is what I mean by extreme balance. So I've been doing Ironman every year for the last 11 years. Um, this will be my first year I'm going to do an Ironman. So that was sort of stuff for me. Um, and as I said before, when I'm not with the team, I'm at home. So trying to, I suppose, spend that time catching up with mates and friends and family and and doing that to another extreme because for five months I don't see anyone. Um, I don't know if that's helped, but um, just trying to keep a balance across the, across the years, probably the, the juggling act. I think, Nick, Nick, one of the examples was as we were setting this up, it was 
what I really respected was like, Andy, now nah, we don't need to have that call. Dude, I'm at home and I'm about to leave home for 10 weeks, right? And, it, and it's tough. And, uh, you know, it's awesome to be able to see the strength of being able to say no. Like, do you know what I mean? And it, uh, yeah, and I'll, come come, and I'll come if you buy me a bowl of whiskey. Yeah, yeah. two. Yeah. I think, you know, two. two, two, two. two. <laughs> um, sorry, we've got any more before I go into whiskey? Uh, yeah, I was um, uh, curious about your interaction with the S&C coaches from the provinces and like just and the just and the other teams. Um, presumably, they some of the players are following programs when they're playing in provincial league, what Super Fifteen, and then when they come back to you, how do you guys pick that up, or is it dictated by the All Blacks? Sure, curious. Yeah, um, good question. Um, New Zealand's small. Um, our clubs are independent of New Zealand rugby, so um, and they always have been. So you, 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 there's, a, there's a there's a word that I keep using. I'm sick of using it, but it's the it's how it is. We just collaborate. So the athlete is in the middle, and I myself and our team will connect with the club and their team. Um, on the player, we'll have a discussion, outline where we think the player needs to go, we'll get some alignment, and then the player becomes a club player. Um, so on, when the World Cup's finished, they're no longer All Blacks. Okay, they're club players again, and they have to make the All Black, and they have to be selected again into the All Blacks. So um, it's very much a country and then club, but we talk, um, we collaborate, um, we have some um, some load management sort of guidelines, which is something that's been a pain in the ass for years and years and years. But um, we change it every year to try and appease everyone. Um, so we have involvement around game exposure, um, and you know, like the guys will step off the plane from the World Cup, and. Um, some of them will want me to keep training them over summer, and I do, but they have to buy me a fishing rod. So that's the that's the rules. Is that next year's. Yeah, okay. yeah, because it's not my job, <laughs> but, but I'll do it for a fishing rod. Um, so I train a few of the guys over summer because they want to um, just continue on and not have anything to do with their club. Because when they go back to their club, it's full on club mode again. They want to sort of stay away from the club as much as possible until they have to be in there. So. Um, that helps them achieve that. So yeah, it's just a it's just a working relationship. Um, yeah, that is hard. you need to put a lot of work into it. A lot of effort is required, and um, and it's all about getting rid of any egos. And like I said before, relationships, honesty, and trust. Yeah. yeah. I think we've got time for for one more. Well, yeah. Uh, hi Nick, um, I'm just wondering. Um, I know you said you don't do daily monitoring, but in terms of potentially when you get all the guys in for a new cycle or coming up to a, like a rugby championship, um, what physical profiling and testing do you do like in the gym or on the pitch, if any? Yeah, so good question. We, um, so I see we don't do daily monitoring. Um, we, depending on the year, depending on the situation, so we had, um, we had the Super Rugby final we had, I think it was 18 players in the Super Rugby final. 
the six days later we had to fly to Argentina to play Argentina. So we, we had no time as an all black group to do anything. So we did no um, fitness testing, um, no monitoring of any sort because we traveled long haul to Argentina, had to play a test match and then traveled back long haul in economy to play the South Africans. So there's not a lot of room to do much. Um, so that was this year. Previous years, um, we'd do a fitness assessment, we'd do some speed, we'd do some um, modifiable risk factor stuff, you know, hamstrings and neck and all that. So we're, we're doing some of that within our test weeks at the moment. So we're looking at getting a strength measure, we're getting some baseline hamstring neck stuff, we've retested all them twice in the last six weeks. Um, so yeah, we're basically doing what we can do when we can do it based on our schedule. Um, if we had a, if we had a, if it wasn't World Cup year, we'd be doing it before rugby championship, after rugby championship, before the, the Northern Tour, um, and then we'd tidy up some loose ends at the end of the tour to send the players back with some data. Okay, so, so we have data on, across lots of sort of areas, um, but it's really hard for it to be consistent. So what did we do last la, week before last? Anyone that was a red flag for a particular assessment, we retested to check that the program had made a change in what was red, and hopefully it's now orange or green. Um, and so we had to target it because we didn't have time to test everyone across everything. Does that make sense? Um, so we're prioritising what we're assessing and why on who at the moment in World Cup year. Well, mate, one, one last question. What keeps you going? You've been doing this a long oh. time now. Um, there's obviously a huge commitment, but um, yeah, what's the thing that gets you out of bed and, and keeps you this focused? Um, it's easy. Um, like I just love it. Um, I, think, um, I think if I was managing lots of people, I probably wouldn't be enjoying it as much, but I'm still coal-faced. Like I'm still, I'm in the gym, I'm on the field, I'm on a whistle, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm portable, my office is portable, it's, a, it's in that bag over there, it's a laptop and an iPad. Um, and I just love it, and as soon as I don't love it, um, I'll, be, I'll be gone. But also, um, as soon as I don't feel like the players value me and what I can do for them, then I'd be gone. Yeah. Even if I was still loving it, but if I got a sense that the players were like, oh, there's the trust or the relationship isn't there anymore, yeah. then I'd go. But at the moment, um, no, like every day, I don't even feel like I work. I mean, it's hard, but but it's just, I look for, I get out of bed every day, I can't wait. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's, that's what I try to teach my daughters, you know, like, forget about money. Money's important, but as long as you're, as long as you're doing something you love, yeah. you know, it's, life's going to be a bit easier. So, no, I just love it, mate. Mate, and, and kind of on that, let, let's definitely wrap there. I think um, if everybody can put their hands together again, give Nick a big thanks. <laughs>